2: Welcome back to the Limited Upside podcast. It's back after a bit of a hiatus. I'm Mike Prada. I'm sorry, friends. It's been a busy time, not just in the NBA world for me, but also in the personal world. So sorry for the delay, but we are back. The NBA season is back. Ben Epstein is here. Hi, Ben.
0: Hi, Mike. Uh, Glad to be back. Uh, This podcast is not postponed. That I can guarantee.
2: No, no, it is not. None of us have COVID and are transmitting it or are in contact tracing protocol right now, as far as I know. Uh, special guest this week—you've heard from him before, but he's got a new podcast out that is surging up the iTunes charts. Really delightful podcast, really going deep into the NBA, called the Dunker Spot. It's part of it's part of the Basketball News Network. Nikias Duncan, how are you? I am doing fantastic, man. How are you? I'm good. I enjoyed trying to count the number of times you used the podcast name in the last podcast while talking about things in basketball. I got to about six. And then I stopped counting.
1: Yeah, like pot being called a dunker spot and then having a segment about the Milwaukee Bucks, it just kind of leads to a lot of overlap. Is what I found.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, for those who uh, have not paid as close attention, one of the things the Bucks are doing that has been discussed by Eric name of the athletic is that instead of placing four guys around the three point line with Giannis, they are taking one of them in what is known as the dunker spot, which is basically considered the baseline right around the basket on the two sides of the paint uh it's called the dunker spot i presume because you dunk from there but i think there's probably a more scientific reason um but that is the name of your show the dunker spot uh so here's what we're gonna do today you know it's been a few weeks since we last talked uh we are recording this on tuesday january 19th did you guys like that i got the date that was pretty impressive right Off to a good start. Off to a good start. Uh, Yesterday was MLK Day, so we're going to – there are a couple of really good games. But it's also been about a month of the season so far, and this is a really rough format. We have each thought of, over the course of just watching games, some players of all ability levels that have just interested us this year. And we have not shared the lists with anyone so basically what we're going to do is we're going to throw out a player we're going to tell explain why we find them interesting and then everybody else is going to react to them we're going to do that for as long as we can until we run out of time to record pretty simple format uh, and you can find them interesting for any sorts of reasons whether you think they're playing great whether you think they're playing pretty shitty whether you think uh, they're flourishing a new skill whether you think they're being misused it could be interesting for any reason so Nakias, you are our guest. Who is the first player on your list that you want to talk about that you are interested in? Um, I feel like it's appropriate to start
1: with a big name because my list is pretty deep. Uh, As you mentioned, a lot of different skill levels and status levels can be mentioned here. And I kind of went off the cuff on a lot of these. So I'm going to kick things off with Ben Simmons. Mm. Uh, His name has been, you know, in the rumor mill following the James Harden talks. And it has been a weird season for him. Um, The defense is still there. Philadelphia is using him a little bit differently as they finally space the floor around Joel Embiid on those post-ups. So he's cutting from the slot a lot. That's been kind of fun to track. But his aggression with the ball has been kind of weird. Um, Hasn't shown much progress as a finisher, which is odd. He's actually... His percentage is actually a little bit down right now. Um, There's just a level of force that he isn't playing with that kind of bothers me. And, you know, if the jumper isn't going to be there, he has to compensate in another way, get to the free throw line more, um, you know, finish at the basket at a higher level, at a higher frequency. It just kind of isn't there yet. So I'm interested to see what kind of progress he's going to make as the season continues.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. Thanks for picking probably – the player who I consume more of my empty thoughts with than anybody in any sport uh, for any, the last four years of my what life.
2: What about what about Emmy Human? Like, where does he rank on the, this uh, list? Yeah,
0: outside of close family and friends, I think Ben Simmons is in more conversation. Well, I mean, again, guys, I don't know if you noticed, I'm a Philadelphia sports fan. I have my old Eagles championship uh, uh, t shirt on. But uh, so outside of um, aren't you, Doug Peterson?
1: I am. I am. Fun season. Oh. Huh?
0: Uh, the best, the best. <laughs> can't, can't wait to see what 31 to 40-year-old rehashed offensive coordinator of the Eagles bring in to, uh, to try to liven up Carson Wentz's dead body. But we can get into that another time on another podcast. Um, yeah, so Simmons is an interesting situation because you mentioned the whole going to the basket. And, and I know that both of you guys watch enough games, it's, you know, maybe not every Sixers game like me, but the one thing that Ben doesn't do with any regularity is attack the rim. And that goes for two, two, two different types of, not just the slash, the catch from the from the cut, but also when Ben gets the ball underneath the basket, he becomes a, a six foot three human being. A lot of pump faking. He gets called for travels more than most once he's in the lane with his pump fake, pump fake. He feels like he is a smaller player on the court than he is. And I think a lot of that comes from his fear of going to the free throw line. I can't get that out of my head. When I watch him play, I think he's, the flicker of instinct is to make the aggressive play. I think that's why a lot of times he gets caught leaving his feet to make a pass, um, which is something else that just drives me insane. Ben leaves his feet to make passes more than most, you know, educated point guards in the league in terms of understanding when and and how to make the right outlet or, or find the right three point shooter who's open. But, man, I'll tell you, in terms of regression around the basket, both right and left hand, which is the thing, you know, in years past, he's been creative, at least. There's a, a there's there's a little bit more nuance to the ways that he gets the ball up to the rim with both hands. And I think a little more patience. I feel like part of the issue with getting him to be the runner in the cut is that he's taking it full speed and you have to process a lot quicker. And I'm not sure he's doing that either right now at, at a high enough level to fulfill that part of the offense. Um, so whether he's in the dunker spot, whether he's the facilitator, who's driving, and kicking or he's the cutter you have to process quicker and Doc's playing at a faster speed than Brett Brown was too, which is another reason, you know, you need to process and make that decision a little faster. I think Ben Simmons also takes a lot more heat than players in his similar echelon do. I think he's a relatively intelligent, sensitive dude who is aware of those things. And so I, so I'm always a little conflicted when we, when I, when I talk about Ben is he, he might be the most interesting player, In the league to me. And then now that the weight of the Philadelphia fan base considers him the opposition to having received James Harden in a trade, it probably doesn't help that. Um, I I can't imagine that it does, especially because he was told, his agent was told that he was going to be traded or that there was likely a deal being done. Uh, That is the reporting. No matter who you are, no matter what part of your career you're in, that, that'll weigh on you a little bit for sure. And you could see it, you know, the, the first game during the, uh, when the trade rumors had really sparked up again, um, he was really bad. Uh, That was the first heat game of their back to back. I mean, he was distant. There was a look in his eyes that he wasn't fully there and he played like it. I mean, he played fully detached from the game. Um, and, and fouled out in what ended up being like a, an overtime game. So of all the games, you don't need to play and beat a ton of minutes against an eight-man Heat team. Mm-hmm. Simmons wasn't even there to be a part of it, and you mean, know. And th- so
2: that was a game I believe the Sixers were better without him on the floor late in the game. Much
0: much better. I mean, yeah, he was disinterested. Um, he he wasn't, and Shake wasn't so, back yet either. So so here's the question.
2: Yeah, so here's a question I I have like. Yeah. We talk about this sometimes, Ben, the two of us, like we text mm-hmm. when you're most frustrating moments. Mm-hmm. The, one of the things that comes up is like he's not saying, at least offensively, I think defensively is a whole other story. He's hasn't gotten any better since his rookie year. Is that a fair statement yeah. to Caius? I don't
1: think that's fair. I think it's more fair to say he hasn't improved at the rate that we thought he would. Mm-hmm. But there have been marginal improvements. Um Like it feels like there's, there's been some regret. Like, I think he is, there's still room to grow. Obviously. I think he is more comfortable with his back to the basket against mismatches than he was when he came in as a rookie. Um, I think the passing has gotten better. Um, he's definitely a better defender.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, the defense 1000% he has gotten a lot better. I'm just talking about offense. But yeah, I
1: think there have been marginal improvements like as a post guy, um, you know, Ben mentioned the creativity as a finisher, like that's gotten better since his rookie year. It's just that with his upside, with his physical gifts, with his intelligence, you would think the progress would be a lot more, a lot more linear, and also just just a lot more improvement in general. Yeah, but he's he's like he's gotten like five percent better.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I also think you know you bring up the back to the basket. Ben is better when the mismatch is bigger than him, than smaller. So when he gets a big on him, he's better at squaring up immediately and taking that guy with a first step and getting to the rim than he is when he has a smaller guard who's willing to get some leverage and put a shoulder into him, because that guard is ultimately going to make him shoot over him. And if the objective is to get Ben to shoot, you've probably made a successful defensive possession, because, I mean, the shot is still mechanically flawed. I mean, it's still an elbow wide out left-handed shot with spin where the ball is going uh, counterclockwise instead of, um, you know, with any backspin. I mean, it's it's a fundamentally broken play. Now, is it good that he still is attempting some threes now? Uh, like a three every third or fourth game? Yeah, it is. Like, it's just getting comfortable, especially in this part of the year where the schedules are all in flux, you're playing against, you know, if there was ever a game to experiment with what you're trying to create offensively, it's against you know, the Heat's third and fourth string lineups, you know, guys who are not going to be playing in the rotation when they're fully healthy. Um, and so that's, you know, or a game against Oklahoma city when Joel's out and it'd be nice to see if Ben could go for 20, you know, I don't think that's asking an entirely too much or it's not a bridge too far. Um, the thing, the thing that I guess I keep coming back to is if, if Ben's goal or the goal of the Sixers is to get him in a place where he's now fulfilling his lane as a superstar and maximizing what Joel does, then what does he have to get best at? And I'd argue that quick decision-making, finding mismatches for the rest of his team, hitting the three-point shooters in space. And again, because of COVID, the Sixers have been without, Steph, uh, without uh, Seth Curry for two weeks now. They were looking pretty, I mean, it was gelling pretty nicely on offense. I think when he left uh, the lineup, they were third or fourth in um, offensive efficiency. And so they were finding shooters. Tobias Harris was playing much better. But ultimately, how did they get Ben and Joel to find an apex together? And you talk about, you know, Ben getting better. It doesn't help that his call it, you know littermates the guys right next to him in the draft in in Ingram and Brown are guys who've gotten so much better year over year and worked on their flaws well, you that, know
2: that's the can you yeah, imagine that, if can you imagine if Simmons is the worst player out of those 3 after all this that'd be amazing and shocking and that, so you say that this is like sort of connected in a large part to how he connects with Embiid but I I don't think it's even really that complicated. Like the thing, I mean, Nikaias has touched on it, and I think I have mm-hmm. a slightly different explanation for it. But just he has like no adaptive body control in yeah. the air. Like you look, his at, steps are bad too. Bad at, steps. He can't. You look at these great players, and you really slow down, like kind of how they score around the rim whether they have a jumper or not. I mean, a really just another example, you compare him to Giannis who I actually have on my list as well. Maybe we can talk about him for different reasons, yeah. but when the legs move, the arms move in different ways. And so they have like this ability to adaptively kind of finish when Simmons, like the whole body moves in one direction. He can't, he has very little ability and it's very odd and frustrating for getting like the jumper and all that. He has very little ability to where he takes a hit in the lower body, and he can still kind of move his upper body, twist the ball to finish in the appropriate way, make the decision in a way that is independent of whatever's happening in the lower body. It's like a Mm. gust of wind like sort of throws off his entire body around the basket. And I there when you look at his physical profile, that should not be happening. You know, he looks really sturdy. He should be the type of player where he just he really does go through you. But for whatever reason, that to me is why I say he hasn't really gotten a whole lot better on offense is that that's like kind of behind – that's core work. That's sort of the the behind-the-scenes tinkering stuff that you don't see, but you can tell in a game. It manifests a bit in foul drawing, but it also manifests in turnovers. It manifests Mm -hmm. in – and I just don't understand. Like why is it that he can come at you so fast – but then he makes contact and it's like his path is too diverted and he is unable to sort of twist his arms or sort of push his arms through. He doesn't really dole out the contact like you'd want.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's a huge part of it. Mike, I think the way to like assuage some of those issues is to be better with keeping your dribble a little bit longer. Ben is always one dribble short, his also Sometimes he'll have a beautiful Euro step, but for the most part, he leaves one step that he could take to be desired before he pulls up to pass. The, his steps, when to pull up his dribble, all those things are connected to decision-making in speed moments. And I bring up that speed moment because even a guy like Westbrook, who can be out of control, is still in control in the speed moments, going at his fastest pace. And I only use Westbrook because they, they're two guys who are more direct line uh, uh, athletes. Ben's a direct line player. He he is not going to outcraft you, but he doesn't go through you, Mike, because sometimes he's not using the uh, the full capability of the drive. Right. I I
2: mean, his his biomechanics are not there. They're just yeah, and they're all connected. He steps and then he takes off, and he hasn't had the full force of his body. I mean, there is sort of there is sort of like a larger kind of existential question with Ben, which is: Are you more of a Draymond Green or are you more of a Giannis? At some point he- you kinda have to pick one or the other. Are you more of oh. like kinda are you more of a not a are you more of like kinda like more of a four or are you more of like a big one? And I think that that's a tricky thing to pick. At this point I don't really think there's a whole lot of clarity one way or the okay. other. Either way though, you gotta be more adaptively strong. So Yeah. That's yeah. the thing. Uh okay. Anything more to say about Ben Simmons? Nikaias. Um,
1: I do not. I just want to see him improve. Um, I think you made a great point about him deciding what type of player he wants to be. It seems like he is settling into big one versus a four. But that also just kind of puts a brighter spotlight on the shot creation on the pull up shooting in general. Like if you're going to be that kind of guy, you have to pose some sort of threat. You know, as an yeah. own ball scorer, and he just doesn't right now. Not at a high enough level to where the Sixers need him to be. So, that also just, I guess it circles back to the Harden trade, too. Because, or just them being in the market for a shot creator in general over the last couple years. Because if you feel like Ben is at his best as a supercharged Draymond, you need a pull-up threat to unlock those short-roll opportunities for him. Mm-hmm. And feel Shake
2: Milton, buddy. Shake so, Milton. Shake you know Milton. My- <laughs> He's Shane, on my list. Jake we'll we'll or as I call him, Minnie Middleton. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good name, actually. The last thing I'll say on Ben, and we can go to the next player, is there, there's always been a blueprint for how to defend the current iteration of Ben Simmons. It's up to the player to adapt. The coach can put some scheme in there to, to open up a few parts of the game. Like we mentioned about with the cutting component off of Joel. Um, you can always augment that person's skill set with some players around you to create more space. But ultimately, the blueprint for how to stop him is there. It's just having you know enough sag in the lane to when he pulls up his dribble and you go back out to your man. The Heat have been incredible at this for years. The Celtics have always done a good job of this. The, the rest of the NBA is just giving Ben the ability, go ahead, drive, get into the lane. You're going to take a low percentage two, or you're going to kick it out after you've left your dribble. And like, If you're, you know, if without Seth Curry, without Tobias, without certain players in the lineup, you're going out to someone who's also going to, you know, be a a lesser three-point shooter. So anyhow, it's up to the player here. In in this case, I don't, I don't think that Doc has uh, necessarily shown everything yet this year. I think a lot of teams are still in what I would consider almost a preseason phase of of implementation of offense and and strategy. But um, yeah, you know, Ben has leaps to make if he's going to fulfill his uh, his potential. And I think you know, all of us would. Would like to see him make those leaps. Um, Absolutely. Who you got,
2: Ben? Who's your first? My turn? Yeah. Cool. You got anybody Um, from these four MLK games that were – or two MLK games that were great?
0: (laughs) Um – you know, I have guys who played yesterday, but not from either of those two games. Uh, you know, I do actually. I have Chris Middleton's on my list. Chris Middleton. Um, you mentioned him just now. Middleton's on my list because <laughs>
2: Nikaias is who in the list. Like, this r- is like Nikias' favorite player in the NBA right here. Yeah. So I was gonna
0: say it's funny to watch Giannis is the the linchpin for the marketing. He is the reason why that's a marquee game against the Nets. But it feels like the the go-to player. The guy who's the ball is in his hand for both decision making in the final two minutes, as well as essentially trust the guy who the Bucks in general believe has gives them the best chance to win a close game uh, is nowhere to be seen in their two time defending MVP. And it's actually Chris Middleton. So in terms of probably the most valuable player to a team with the highest expectations that the rest of the NBA call it casual fans probably know very little about. I find that very interesting, and that's where Chris Middleton sort of sits in my head, Nikias. I know you, you're a huge fan of, uh, of of Chris Middleton. By all means, the floor is yours. I am don't forget the bit.
1: No, I uh, <laughs> I do agree. Uh, I actually don't have too much to add. Like he has been fantastic. He hasn't shown me anything that I haven't seen from him this year, so he didn't make my list. But it is, you know, it's interesting to see how much trust Milwaukee has in him late game. Uh, I think watching that Nets-Bucks game, the way that they went to the Chris middleton Giannis pick pick-and-roll late, it just attacking DeAndre Jordan in that drop over and over and over again. I think that was smart. Um, I think that is instructive to what the Nets are going to see late in games against elite Eastern Conference teams. Um, There's a lot on Chris Middleton's plate this year, which I think he's earned it, right, because he's one of the best wings in the league. He's one of the best pull-up shooters in the league. Um, I'm. I guess I'm excited to see him get more of a spotlight this year, but I'm also concerned because that question of is he a good enough number two, is still going to be there until we see it, and the playoff record for him in those moments has been spotty at best. Like we've seen him turn into Michael Jordan against the Celtics in a first round series, we've also seen him look out of sorts against Toronto, so. You know, I mean, I, I don't really have any pressing things to see from Chris Milton during the regular season. I just want to see what his usage is in the playoffs and if he's going to convert those pull up shots.
2: Would have been nice if maybe the Bucks considered running some of those screen and rolls a little higher so that he could have stepped into three pointers. They are worth yeah. more than two, I mean I'm just saying. Um you know, But yeah, I, I I'm, I'm it's interesting that you have this situation, and then I think a little bit about what's going on in New Orleans now with Ingram and Zion Williamson. You know, Ingram is a better player right now than Zion Williamson is. But there is sort of a similarity of, like, at the end of games, like, you have a best player and then you have a closer. And I like, is that's so bad. Um, it's Is it part of our culture as a Hoops as hoops fans, to like kind of assume that the guy who finishes the game, the closer, is always the best player. You know, you. I think a little bit about like kind of Julius, like this is a way back machine, but like Julius Irving and like Andrew Tony, kind of closing out the Celtics in the in the eighties. Nobody would say Andrew Tony was the best player on the Sixers. Everybody would it's Julius Irving, but Andrew Tony was the guy who could get a shot off in a tight situation. So Andrew Toney was the closer. Why can't that be the case with Middleton? I, I don't know. You know, it seems to me that that's... I mean, offense wasn't really the Bucks' problem in that game down the stretch, really. I mean... It executed pretty well. I, I actually think that, you know, I actually think Giannis looks kind of off this year. And that was like kind of a guy that I was going to point to. Um, and I don't know why it is. I, I feel like anyone who looks off for reasons that are hard to explain we have to give him the benefit of the doubt because of the weirdness of life right now but yeah. i i don't he doesn't seem to be playing with the same level of focus or concentration on on both ends i think they're starting to figure out like kind of how to bring him closer to the basket but it's not really happening there his free throw shooting is a whole nother thing um and i think it you know Long term, I mean, they, again, they need Chris Milton to be, like, kind of lights out at the end of games. And that's asking a lot. And I, I don't know. Something doesn't feel quite right with Giannis so far. Is that Mike, just
0: a me thing? You've always said, you I mean, one of your beliefs is that Giannis is, like, the next iteration of, of Shaq. Yeah. More than almost any other player. Well, Shaq always had someone else to have the ball in their hand in that last three, four minutes of the game, you know, I made it when it I counted, time.
2: I made it when it counted. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. Right. As he would say, but, but yeah, I mean, the reality is it, it was Wade and it was Kobe and even before that it was Penny. And, and so it's like, you know, is, can Milton be that, that level of, of secondary player to the great call it, you know, power big player.
2: Yeah. I mean, I don't see why, not just because you look at where the game is going. I mean, just, he can make shots from anywhere. Mm-hmm. anywhere i mean he is he is one of the few three level scorers that this league has for sure you know even some of the best players are not three level scorers so obviously at the end of games it makes sense i think it's a crazy that he's become this good i never thought he'd become this good even though i've always liked him i mean he's as good a shot creator down the stretch as there is in the league i never thought he would get to that level you know the last two years he has gotten to a level that i am just stunned by um and I wonder why that happened. But I mean, is it really so bad? I guess is my point. If he's the guy who makes who takes the tough shots late, and Giannis is the guy who dominates the first three and a half quarters, seems like that's an arrangement everybody should be fine with, as long as they don't buy into sort of this narrative issue. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I don't. Yeah, I don't think they care about it too much. Like Giannis loves, loves Chris, from everything I've read and everything I've heard. So like, I don't think it's that. It's just, I guess, collectively trying to shift to narrative to making that arrangement okay. Because it's easier to okay the Wade-Shaq dynamic because both of those guys are, you know, they're both recognized as superstars. Kobe and Shaq, the same thing. Chris Middleton has never gotten superstar equity from, like, the collective NBA audience. And I don't think he's a superstar. I think he's a tier below that. But... It also doesn't feel like he's gotten star equity either, which is kind of weird. Yeah.
2: Well, you also look at it. I mean, I I was thinking about this late in the game. There were a couple plays late in the game last night uh, where I was like, Chris, you got to be more selfish. Like, don't swing the ball the other side. There was one. Was it like sort of on the second to last play where he had a decent look off the screen and he swung it and it ended up in nothing? Uh, some of that is his own belief and the team's own belief. I mean, if he's the guy, you got to treat him like the guy. And the Bucks didn't really do that down the stretch last night. Yeah, there was a
1: similar uh, similar sequence in the Mavericks game last Friday, to where he hits back to back dagger threes, and then the next possession, it's I think Dante DiVincenzo handling a lot, and it's just like you can't do that.
2: Like yeah, especially when you have it
1: rolling, you gotta you gotta take charge there.
2: And that's, that's the problem with the Bucks in a lot of ways uh, down the stretch. It's less a – I think it gets manifested a bit into a Giannis issue that I think – look, if the dude is like the best player in the game for most of the game, and that's most of the game, like why is – I mean, I know the last – the end of the game is more important, but like the baskets all count the same.
0: Yeah, that's true. Although – tight games you usually need a different type of offensive set slash mentality and I think like this is I mean it's it's funny we just went from Ben Simmons to to now Giannis is sort of in this conversation where they they suck up a very similar type of space in a half court close game Uh, and maximizing what you get from a screener is not exactly what you're thinking about when the emphasis is on like, what can the two-time MVP do? I mean, it's, it's his level of expectation of what we expect from, from Giannis specifically, because he's just gotten so much better year over year, maybe to see him not take an incremental leap this year, that feels like a backstep when in reality, he's pretty much the same player as the league adapts. I mean, it's such a smart, it's such a hyper-intelligent, fast moving NBA. It's mm. impossible to get away from that. I don't pray to this as like a core tenant of, of how you think of the game. Um, that goes for how schematically you deal with someone like Giannis, who there had never been a player, you know, essentially like him, aside from, you know, talk about young Shaq from a physical standpoint. But even that's different because, you know, no, handle is on the level. He's unlike any you know? player that's yeah, ever played anyone. the game. Right. So I feel like there's he's been a band here. going on.
2: I feel yeah. like it's been worse this year in ways that are clear, but I think a lot of that is on defense. Alright, who do I yeah. want to talk about? Um I feel like we should talk about the Warriors Lakers game, but I don't none of the guys on my list are there. Um I'll just throw this out with this thought. Like do we think Warriors fans have been complaining a lot this year about sort of the state of their team and how they're using Steph Curry and the way that they're sort of not taking shooting seriously. You know, I watched a game like last night, and I'm just thinking to myself, like, th- this might be a little much. Like, it seems like everything's fine, mostly, with how Steph's being used. You know, it all makes sense. They're making adjustments. They just don't have the talent anymore. And, and, and is that, like, sort of, or do we think that there is, like, sort of this, cons- this tr- issue of how Steph is being used and, how they're not playing with enough shooting and how he doesn't touch the ball enough, uh, all of these sort of little concerns. Is this legit to you guys?
1: Um, I think there is something to it. Like, it's low-hanging fruit, but like I would like to see more high ball screens with Steph. Like, I think, especially with the new additions, um, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre. I mean, Andrew Wiggins isn't a new addition, but, like, he's still very early into the Warriors process, like neither of those guys have really played in offenses that prioritize off-ball movement and more importantly, like just random reads within the flow of the action than Golden State provides. So like it's been such an adjustment for those two in particular. Uh, There have been plenty of possessions to where Steph will operate in a high screen or a dribble handoff. He'll give the ball up, relocate to the corner. A warrior staple there is whoever's standing in that corner steps up, sets like a hammer screen or a flare screen or whatever. And there's classic Steph relocations to corner three, and him and Kelly Oubre have run into each other no less than like not even exaggerate they've run into each other yeah, no they less ten times this season. So with them struggling to kind of pick up that aspect, and that feels like that's I mean that's inherently feel and timing and chemistry and they just haven't had the time to build that. I do think simplifying things makes sense within that uh within that context. Like Kelly Oubre is at his best when he's attacking a bent defense, not when he's screening and making passes and relocating and doing things of that nature. Like that's just not him and that's never been Andrew Wiggins either. So I do think there's something to simplifying things, letting stuff just kind of operate in that way. Um, and the shooting is obviously a big deal because teams have been throwing out box and ones against them and stuff. So I do think there's something yeah. to be said about the roster and the rotations.
0: There's, you know, there's a very real connection to Davidson stuff and the Golden State Warriors stuff this year, and just in just how teams key on them. You talked about the box and one. I'm noticing that too, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. This is where the NBA is at right now. They have identified like the. The true, weakness of the, the true weakness of the roster composition when Clay went down, obviously, was that there was no one else you have to really worry about. Plus, it's like not just make Oubre beat you or make Wiggins beat you, but like make Wiseman make the right decision, like make Draymond shoot the ball or, or honestly, they've been a lot better since Draymond's come back. And and provided them with the level of, I believe, defensive integrity positioning, specifically on defense. Like they, more than anything, Draymond gives them that defensive coordinator, but, and also unlocking Steph in certain, you know, certain ways that other guys aren't looking for. But it's like, I I tried to think of the last time that the Warriors had to rely on unreliable people. I don't know if if that makes sense, but unproven to be reliable. And all they had for the history of, of their success was like, the most reliable veterans, the Livingstons, the Iguodalas, the guys who like yeah. think the game at a much, much higher level than the average role player, let alone the physical aspects. Yeah, and the, what the Andrew they brought to the table. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're, you know, thinking man's vets. And so, you know, yeah that's, that's interesting. You just have to talk about running into each other with Kelly Oubre and it's such like a microcosm of, it's, it's like uh, it is the manifestation of the issues. It's like both a physical running into each other because of a mental mistake.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I agree with all this. Like, it has it kind of been kind of funny to watch Kelly try to play the three in this offense. But, yeah, I... Uh, Sometimes Steph ran into people even when he was with the Warriors before. Like, it's not it, as yeah, blatant. We're looking for it more. But sometimes he that's the nature of how he plays. He just runs around a lot in very random sequences. Even the smartest players sometimes don't know exactly what he's doing. And I also would say just, like, kind of over the course of the season, like, all these little things that they can do to kind of fix some of the inherent challenges in the roster, they're starting to do. Like, Steph is getting more step-up screens uh, and higher – screens are, in. now that Draymond's back they're able to do a lot of their two man game stuff um, Ubrey last night which I thought was a really clever move by Steve Kerr they sort of swapped Ubrey and Wiggins' rotation minutes so that Ubrey was playing the four with the small lineup rather than Wiggins Uh in the second unit, I thought that was really clever, and I think it really did a lot to get him going, get him yeah. to your point, Nikaias out in the open floor, making fewer sort of reads and more attacking. Uh, I think that's been really smart. You know, they've shifted Eric Paschal from starting three and a half to backup small five. I think that's been a really smart move. It's really opened things up. Um, so when you combine all of that, and you know, they they were they're also trying to get Wiggins more on sort of downhill space floor pick and rolls that has helped him a little bit. I mean, it hasn't – no coach can make Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre and some of these guys into the players that you that you would wish that they would be these sort of ultra smart – nobody's going to make those guys an Andre Iguodala. Nobody's going to make those guys into those players. I just think that they've – and, and, and I understand the desire to want Steph to run high pick and roll every game, but you—he's let, frankly, he's less special when he's stationary. Like the whole point of having Steph Curry is that all of these sorts of plays that you run for him are happening in places that the defense cannot anticipate, from movement patterns they cannot figure out, and he's shooting shots that nobody can possibly get. It's like it's like kind of being in a maze and you're kind of chasing the mouse and trying to catch him. Like if you simplify too much you take away that entire effect which is it's not because he's a great shooter that he gets all that attention it's that he's darting everywhere and he's a threat from anywhere from any angle you can't help but just watch him and so i i think there's a danger in trying to become too conventional if you have him on your team no matter what your surrounding mixes so I, i think relative to the amount of talent they have like this to me feels more like a front office issue than the state of the roster, than a coaching issue. You know, they they have, I just don't think, have identified the right types of players to fit with the players that they have. They haven't developed them as well. Uh, They've gotten a little, I think, complacent since they won all these titles. I don't think this is a coaching issue. I think they're doing the best they can with the talent they have. Maybe I'm a little euphoric because that was an amazing win they had last night, but... You know, the more I watch them, I think it's pretty amazing that they are where they are.
1: I think that's fair. Um, Like, if I'm just kind of weighing coaching versus front office slash roster construction, like, I would blame the front office a lot more than the coaching. But it's just kind of like making those tweaks on the margins to do what you can to maximize everyone. And as you mentioned, the rotation decisions, like, with Oubre, uh, with Pasco, like, that helps. That helps space the floor. That helps simplify things for those guys. And, you know, Steph has already proven, like, he can operate. He can operate in a simplified offense, high screen, just pull up against drop. He can also be the improvisational guy and just kind of run around. So it's about trying to maximize everyone that Steve Kerr is doing the best that he can. So I I definitely understand where you're coming from there.
2: And, like, if they have Klay Thompson, so much of this stuff is solved because now it's two guys that are sort of threats from anywhere. It's just, look, sometimes it's hard to replace irreplaceable unique players. (laughs) Um, But that's my feeling on Steph. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to talk about some more players. I'll kick it off this round because I really want to talk about this one guy. Uh, We'll be back on the Limited Upside podcast. Get
1: ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th.
2: the Basketball News, and the Dunker Spot podcast with our friend Steve Jones. We're doing something very basic here, which is we're just kind of throwing up players that we found interesting for different reasons, uh, and we're talking about them. Because it's a podcast, we've only gotten through three in about 40 minutes. So good job, us. So hopefully we can go a little quicker. Uh, I'll start this one off because I... I want to talk. I tweeted about this yesterday, and it just continues to baffle. I know this is like a pet topic for Nakaya, so I'm definitely going to talk about this. How is it that Ja Moran is not on national television more often? <laughs> I, how is it? I, I get that like Zion has the pedigree, but like New Orleans and Memphis are both tiny markets. Like, you would think that the gap was that the only national TV game the Grizzlies have this year, or do they have like one or two others?
1: I feel like they have like four or something this year. Like it's it's
2: way too it's way too low to just, your point. The guy is just incredible, an incredible athlete. Like maybe the best NBA athlete I've seen enter this league in years. I mean, he, the stuff he does with his feet, the coordination he has with his body, the kind of jaggedness that he cuts with. Like I, Kevin Ardevens once wrote that like the most exciting moment. Is when John is the one and a half seconds where John Morant's in the air. I think he wrote something like that last year. I'm like loving what happens before John Morant gets in the air. So if he's exciting when he's in the air, my God, the way he moves his feet is just, it's just crazy how athletic and functional his athleticism is. He's just amazing. And the NBA, I think he's a great bridge between an old era where it's like the guys dunk on you and, the little guys that that slam and, and, like, the vertical athleticism. But then he also possesses a new-age horizontal side-to-side athleticism and craft that kind of makes him, to me, he's like a perfect bridge between two eras. If you're having trouble kind of looping a fan base around the modern game, it seems like that's the guy you need to promote more.
1: Yes, like, I I ended up tweeting it because I was watching the Grizzlies, um, the Grizzly Suns game. And I was watching Chris Paul operate, and I'm just like, are we going to ever see another Chris Paul? Just a guy at that size to have that blend of shooting, playmaking, and also the on-ball defense. And, I, you know, I was thinking of younger Chris Paul, too, because he, you know, we're talking 06, 07, 08. Chris Paul, he's one of the most athletic guards in the league at that point. Mm-hmm. And I end up tweeting under that tweet that Java Rant may be the closest thing we see to Chris Paul. I agree. Just like, as you mentioned, the athleticism is absurd. The passing ability that he complements that athleticism with is absurd. Like, he just has, he has feel way beyond his years. And as the jumper develops, like, he's just going to end up being unguardable almost.
2: He's amazing. I just, to me, he's like my favorite player in the league to watch because he just, he goes in directions that I don't think should be possible for a human being to go. Like just the sort of steps he had, that pass he had at the end of the game uh, for the corner three. I forget who hit it. Was it Grayson Allen? Was it Kyle Anderson? Um, Did you watch this game, Ben? No,
0: I actually took that game off, man. Okay. I had a, it was my first Sixers game of the year that I, I did not watch in full unfortunately
2: oh well we're talking about the grizzlies but okay um yeah.
0: <laughs> Was it, sorry wasn't it against wasn't it against are you talking about the the, the game they just beat the sixers no 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 i'm talking about the phoenix
2: game oh, but yes oh. there is also oh, this oh sorry game. sorry sorry yes sorry i thought so, were, he
0: had a great game against them too his first
2: yeah game. yeah similar his first game back so i forget who hit the corner three but you know he made the way he kind of creates that passing lane is he's he's on the baseline he they're playing like sort of a down coverage or an ice with what people in the league call an ice coverage where they're trying to force him to the baseline. Right. And then he's, he got like my McHale bridge just kind of comes in anticipates like where he's going. So he has to kind of then jump to the, like kind of lean to the left or sort of drive to the left, back to the middle. And then he's got to make another step to get like around. I forget who the help guy was. Was it Aiton or was it someone else? Where was like kind of right at the basket and he sort of then has to jump out of bounds, and he's gliding, 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 literally the millisecond before his foot's about to hit the ground, and he's gonna get called for up and down. He whips that pass with his right hand on target perfectly along the baseline to the corner for the game ceiling corner three. It was I don't think people realize like how ridiculous it is that he was able to move in that direction to get that pass off. So I don't know, I just it's Memphis, but like that guy's got to be on national TV more. Like you got to find a way, even if it's just like sort of as the late game when they play like Portland on TNT, like a ten thirty game. Like you got to get that guy on national TV. That is my two cents.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, look, if if the idea was to promote Zion as much as possible in his rookie year, coming from Duke, coming from you know being a, as noted a notable of a recruit as there ever was in, into college basketball then the pivot's pretty simple here. Not that you have to pivot away from Zion, keep the Pelicans relevant, that's totally fine. Promote small markets. I like that no matter what. If you could find ways to get the Oklahoma City Thunder and young Westbrook on television and, and you know, young KD and young Harden, you can find ways to get Memphis. And this is to say that Memphis has been a really, really good team. For a long time prior to being bad enough to get John Morant, you know, playoff perennially, a difficult out in the playoffs, and never got the note of, you know, the national respect that they should have. And they fed off of that. I think that was part of the identity. Um, But that. That's not how you build, you know. Your call it Kevin Johnson eight point uh, who's you know attacking <laughs> great, the league and that's like. That's
2: a great, yeah, Kevin Johnson you know, eight
0: It's and so it's, it's like remarkable. you know, get get him out there, yeah. Um, and yeah, they're it's, way it's just, better I mean,
2: than they should be. Like that, their talent mm-hmm. level, they're way better than they should be. Uh, no oh, man, big, I mean, big reason yeah, this, why.
0: the the jumps too. I mean, like Brooks has slowed down a little bit now, but yeah, they they've taken. F- you know, less desired uh, first round draft picks. Even in, in Slomo's case, you know, a guy who had kind of bounced a little bit around the league for a few teams now, playing really well. I, th- I do think there's something to be said for this is a weird year, and if there was ever a year to showcase the full breadth of the league and, and star specific as opposed to franchise specific and market right. specific, this, this was the, this is the year to do it. So. Yeah.
2: Well, I, I don't know if you read that Ethan Strauss article, but like, it seemed like the league, sort of the TV partners were like scared, wanted sure things because they've been losing money. And that's why, if anything, yeah. they've gone the opposite way, but I agree with you. Uh, Nakai, who's, uh, who's next on your list?
1: Uh, Let's go Bam out of bio. Ooh. Because Bam, Bam out of bio. <laughs> Bam has been mostly absent because of COVID. Um, He just got back recently, back-to-back 28-point games for him. He is still doing his switchy stuff on defense. He's still doing the high post passing, though the turnovers are kind of annoying me because he tries to thread the needle on passes that aren't there. But the mid-range jumper is firmly here now, and I think that is going to open up so much in his game. Um, he is taking those elbow jumpers. He's not just taking spot-up elbow jumpers or pick-and-pop jumpers. He's taking step-backs, which is terrifying for a starting center to do as fluidly as he does. And so now when you – I think uh, last year he's shooting 85% at the rim this year. Like the sample is kind of whatever because of the games played. But he's getting at the rim. He's getting to the rim at a pretty high level. He's finishing at a high level. He leads the heat in mid-range attempts and he's knocking down half of those right now. Um, You add the passing to that, you add the defense to that, and you're looking at a top 15 player.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Is he? do you think when is he going to be shooting a lot of more threes? Because I guess that's the next step. Do you think that that's realistic? Do you think that that's something we'll see this year, next year, two years from now, if we do see it?
1: If I had to guess... I would guess we see the threes next year because the only thing that's really holding him back is his own aggressiveness, which is, I mean, I guess that's a positive thing in a way that he is, you know, Spoh isn't telling them, Hey, operate these handoffs and don't do anything else. Like he has the green light to do. So it's all about comfort. And that's what these last two games, that's why these last two games have been so encouraging to me because he is taking the reins. He is taking more shots now. So if he keeps that up as you know, Jimmy Butler returns at some point, then I think the Heat can right the ship a bit and they can still very much compete at the top of the East.
0: Yeah. It feels like there's so much movement still to be had in the East, uh, specifically with the Heat, and likely Toronto's been playing better lately too. Um, I don't think the Knicks and Cleveland are, are long for the playoff picture, but mm. we'll see about that. Um, I don't think
2: so either, but, you know. Yeah,
0: but we'll see. Um I have a question with Bam. I mean, the guys, did you, coming into this season, did you expect him to be, uh, coming off of last year's playoffs, to be the Heat's best player this year? To be the guy they kind of lean on as the pillar?
1: Yes. Yeah. Especially during the regular season, Jimmy Butler is just the guy that wants to set up the offense first and then finish later. So I think, you know, especially with Bam getting the contract and coming off the playoff run that he had and the disappointment with him getting hurt during the finals, I felt like... Mm you know, the stage was set for him to come out with his hair on fire and just kind of yeah. really make the I'm here statement.
0: Yeah. His, speaking of that, his block on Grant last night to win the game, eh, seal the game,
2: well, that was yeah. a pretty
0: good defensive play. Was I saw it, you highlighted yeah. that on Twitter, but was that, that was specifically.
2: Was that better than the one he had on? I mean, nothing can top the one he had on Tatum in the conference finals the year before. Last year, no, that was that, uh, that was ridiculous. But yeah, no,
0: he, this I, was a different this is a different play, though, because it was like his his footwork to put himself in the right place to go up and contest the shot was different than meeting Tatum, essentially. Mm.
2: Yeah, no, I, I mean, look, I'm I'm a huge fan of his game. I've always I've, I think we when we had our sort of top 25 under 25 draft, I think mm-hmm. I would I said he would be better than Embiid. But we'll see if that actually happens. Mm. <laughs> now, my has been pretty damn good this year. Joel's been pretty good, but you know, I, I was pretty high on him. Uh, ben, do you have a name?
0: Yeah, let's go to. Uh, well, I don't. I want to mention Shake Milton's name, but I don't want to sit on him here because we we don't have all the time in the world. But I do want to say that Shake has become offensively. He's just one of the most fun players to watch. He yeah. has an incredible skill set. He can get to anywhere he wants. I, you mentioned he's like mini Middleton. I think he plays kind of a little bit like, like a like a modified guard version of Paul Pierce. He has a way of getting to his spots. And even if that's like a four-foot jump shot where he just has gotten there by behind the back and up and under and like a little step back or something. It seems like he's always in control. And Sixers desperately needed him to take this leap because it mitigates a lot of Simmons' weaknesses. But and I don't want to dwell Maxie on
2: Shake Maxie's been <laughs> impressive.
0: Maxie's been really impressive. So that that is actually where I wanted to go, though, was to another rookie. I feel like we should talk about LaMelo Ball a little bit um, mm-hmm. because he's been – he's not only is he fun to watch and you see like – you can see his potential on the basketball court. Man, I feel like he sees the play three plays before everyone. He's got a brain on – essentially a court leadership brain, if you will, uh, ability to see the entirety of the, of, of the court. That is very unique, incredible vision. He's also shooting well. So here's this weird shot where he's always leaning back a little bit, whether it's a pull up or off the dribble or, or, or anything of that matter, uh, even off a dribble handoff or anything like that. He always looks like he's kind of in a, a recliner, but his at the end of the day and you watch it in slow-mo, it's a nice release. He's got a, he's got like a nice shot. It's not a, a, a you know, a broken, it's different, but it's not broken, if you will. And I thought his jump into the league has been as seamless as any top guard drafted uh, in the last, you know, four or five years that I can just like, remember off the top of my head with like John ja Morant in the conversation, obviously too, as someone who leaped directly in and Ja played, you know, at a decently high level in college too. and was a standout there. I think with ball, there was so much, there's so much, there was so much external, call it crap that had nothing to do with basketball that a lot of us, maybe not us on this particular podcast, but the general NBA public came into a a bit of a negative connotation to what they were expecting from him. And plus, let's be real. Everyone said, and we had Ricky on this pod, this is probably the best talent in the draft. So for him not to go number one, that's a little bit weird, right? And I think about how he would look on the Warriors and how much fun that would be and how disappointed I am that that's not the case. And then I look at like how much better Terry Rozier is playing this year with like a legitimate guard next to him who's not also a shooting guard like Devontae Graham because uh, they're a little redundant. And, and I look at how much better P.J. Washington's playing, and he's made a jump. And I think – yeah, PJ Washington's made a jump this no, year. No, well, sure. I agree.
2: I, I just oh, I, d- I don't yeah. know if like Charlotte's improvement is as down to ball oh. as you do. Like I think no, hey- I
0: mean it's not just just down to him, I'm saying, but like to hop into a team where I'm not sure what the expectation was, and all of a sudden like not only are they competitive, but I think ball when he's on the court, there, there's just a kind of like a level of uh, excitement that. Yeah, I, I don't know. It kind of transcends, you know, it makes him interesting, which is what what we were going for here. I'm, I'm, definitely, I'm, I'm constantly definitely fun finding to watch. myself watching Charlotte games, yeah.
2: He's definitely fun to watch. I, I think Charlotte is about as good as I thought they would be, which is better than most people thought. So I'm not surprised. Hmm. I don't know what the oh, so you thinks. you were
0: you were bullish on them. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I thought they had a pretty good – I mean they had two good guards uh, besides L- LaMelo. Yeah. Uh, I really like P.J. Washington. They got Hayward, who's a pretty, really mm-hmm. competent, solid player to connect some stitches together. Miles Bridges has been better than I thought. I really like the way they are, mm-hmm. they they play offense. I don't know. They're about where I thought they were. And LaMelo's fun to watch. There's no question. I don't know. It's funny. Like the, the rookie class has been pretty impressive. I'm not entirely sure I would rather have LaMelo over even Anthony Edwards or Jameis Wiseman. I think they've both been pretty good in their own way. You're you're looking at me like I, I'm crazy. Me Or the guys, yeah, the guys. You go. I thought it go was go. you. He had this like kind of like eyebrows down. No,
0: I, I just I just think I just think it's it's hard to like. I, I agree. Those two have been impressive. I think Maxi's been impressive. I think Quigley's been impressive. Yeah. Um, I was like, of, oh, like this has
2: been a good. Yes. Isaac Ocaro and Cleveland. I mean it's a, yep. I have like a pet theory that I think rookies are more ready to play today's game than ever because they're they're more native to the new game than players, you know, haven't come in before, like, there's still a lot of players, vets in the league who are still learning. It's like kind of they're the your parents' generation, like, kind of learning how to use software. And the kids mm-hmm. are coming in, and they're just sort of picking this sort of style play up right a little sooner. That's like a weird pet theory of mine. Because um, I, I I'm surprised by how well this rookie class has adjusted, all things considered.
0: thats what do you think?
2: I would agree. Like, I think the... Co- from
1: you know, the other draft people that I read and listen to, like the consensus was that there wasn't a superstar in the draft, but there were a lot of players that could carve out 10, 12 year careers. Um, so I'm not surprised that we're seeing so many guys fill a role early. Um, I'll say it's, well, I'm not surprised that there are a lot of guys filling a role. I am a little bit surprised that they're all filling a role this early yeah. is the way i phrase it.
2: Because this was supposed to be a, bad year to be a rookie with the limited training camp and instead what i think has happened is that they're free to just play and so that they've always been better and it sort of raises some questions about like kind of are we really developing these guys right like are we over structurizing them early on you know when there's less practice time and they're playing better like maybe that's something we should all learn but that's a i think this is going to be a little bit of time before we figure that out um i want to talk about mikhail bridge's I want to talk about Mikel Bridges because I think in today's game, somehow, some way, despite everything we know about how the game works, teams still do not properly value wing size. They still don't get it that it's so helpful to be big on the perimeter, to be long, and not because of how you play on the ball, but because To me, it's like relatively simple and I don't understand why teams don't really kind of think this way. If you're long and you have long arms and you're quick at the same time, you're going to cover more space, which means it's harder to throw passes (laughs) and harder to move the ball. There's like this little inch of space that's there. So I do not understand why teams today play small when they could be oversized on the wing and thus it's harder to throw the ball around them. How do you get better on defense? You got to be a big team on the wings. Like that's where the game is won. In those pockets of space, you know, to when you're closing out and you're putting your hand up, like do you get two inches closer to the shooter, or than you would if you're taller? That makes a huge difference. Do you cover two inches more of ground? Especially now that I think you know, there's been more teams that are cutting to the basket using this less like sort of stationary spacing and more sort of movement around. The spacing, like sorry, you, I think the Kai's you call it like motion, movement shooting, where it's like you're kind of catching the ball and you're spotting up, but you're also kind of on the move. To me, if you have a guy as long as Mikael Bridges, as quick as Mikael Bridges, as you please playing the three or the four, you're just covering more space. And I do not understand why more teams do not get this.
1: It's weird, but like he has. To me, to your credit, like he has very quickly become one of the most valuable wings in the NBA because of how much ground he covers on and off the ball, like off the ball, like Phoenix is still primarily running their drop. So, like, if he's on the weak side and he's helping on a tag or whatever, he can tag the role to get back out to the shooter, stay, you know, stay down. And like he's covered two players in the span of a second half. and there just isn't much you can do. And then you try to dribble against them and good luck trying to do that because the hands are quick. So he has been a joy to watch. I'm glad that he's getting a little bit more responsibility on the ball. Like he's still firmly in the attack, the defense role, but he's doing that with more comfort. He's doing that with more aggression. Um, The three point shot is obviously there and he's everywhere on defense. So He's going to get paid yeah. when but, it's I mean, time to
2: drink them. He was the tenth yep. pick in the draft and he got traded on draft day. Like I, I just, yeah. I, I made this comment in the Memphis game that I think it's just. You look at some of the guys that are playing the wings on those two teams, two pretty solid Western Conference teams. How many of those guys were high picked high in the draft? How many of those guys are just random second round picks that they're successful because they. Are long and they move really well and they don't need the ball. I to me like it it just seems so simple to me. I don't understand why so many teams have trouble in this pace and space era. Everybody's like, how, how do we stop the three-point line and the basket? Oh, I don't know. Maybe you have and maybe you have like a bunch of really long dudes. It seems like the, that that's the way you do it. <laughs> I don't understand why more Yo, teams aren't doing that. It's important to note too. This is who he was
0: at Villanova, right? This is not some like out of world leap that he made when he got to the league. Like he's gotten better because he's a, a smart, good player and like, you know, facilitates that role that we're, we're talking about here. But this is exactly who he was on a great college basketball team in a great program for a program that plays an inverted NBA game. Now, this is a, a spaced, you know, Canova plays shooters around. They play, a, you know, a smaller, uh, call it smaller front court with guys who want to be a little more versatile. Like, he's he wore multiple hats there for very good teams and did so essentially doing what you were talking about. Um was a front debauchery of the Sixers like trading him while his mother worked for the Sixers organization drafting him and trading him for Zaire uh, Smith like you know that was only that only just breaks the bubble of, of awful moves of the last five years the Sixers wow. made but in Bridges case man like this is what, what's so I guess nice to see is like fulfilling essentially the leap from college to the NBA in the same capacity and doing so you know I, I think on now a team that's getting a lot more shine so like he was a pretty good player last year too. This is not like a, an overnight sensation. Um, But now, I mean, like the, the conversation revolves around his, his impending contract more so than like DeAndre Ayton's next move with the team. And that should say a lot.
2: Yeah. I just, there are a lot of teams that just don't have wing size and they still don't value it. I just don't. Yep.
0: And look at the Spurs right now. They basically rebuilt their team on wing size.
2: Yeah. I mean, look like, at like Keldon Johnson, right? <laughs> Like this Doesn't is a guy, mind. yeah. Like th- these are guys that like they just cover a lot of ground. Seems to me like if you're playing a spacing game, you want guys who can cover a lot of that space with their arms. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to make sense to me. Uh, all right, uh, that's my spiel on him. Uh, we have time for one or two more. and the class, you get you get another one in here.
1: Okay. Well, it's funny that you bring up the Spurs because the next person I was going to bring up was Keldon Johnson. Yeah, who has, who has been. Easily one of my favorite players to watch this year because he's so, he's so reckless on both ends. <laughs> he is so reckless. Like He catches the ball above the break, attacks the scrap. you know, guy that's rotating. And then he's just jumping into the chest of whoever's at the room. It doesn't matter. Like he's had mm-hmm. a couple of nice um, finishes over Rudy Gobert. He's been swatted by Rudy Gobert. Like it, it just doesn't right. matter to him. So, He's he's been a fun driver to watch. Like he's kind of everywhere on defense that isn't always a good thing, but he is everywhere on defense. Uh the shot is there. He doesn't pass which is kind of concerning, but like he's young, he's going to get there. I, I I just have a lot of fun watching Keldon Johnson right now.
2: Yeah, he's a the Spurs are a really fun team to watch. I mean, it, it's the same formula just adapted to a new game. Like they just move a lot and they make quick decisions and they're just uh, zipping around all over the place. And, like, it's been fun watching. I know this isn't directly about Keldon Johnson, but I think it, it's helped make DeMar DeRozan better because he can play up a position. And so DeRozan still has a space floor uh, to dribble, but he's not as exposed on defense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're a nightmare for teams. I mean, I I a world where the Spurs get into the playoffs, and it looks like they could be very well in that hunt. Although, who knows, that six through... 11 in the West or whatever. I mean, again, looking at the standings is kind of irrelevant right now, to be honest, for the most part, but yeah, I wouldn't want to go against the hyper athletic
2: young team coached by pop. I bet they make it in. I bet they, I bet they get like the seven seed. So you think the warriors and Spurs make it Mike? I I think that that could very well happen. Yeah. 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 I mean, I have to go through the teams. I mean, let's see. I think, so, Houston's, I think, out. Sacramento's mm-hmm. out. Minnesota, obviously, mm-hmm. out. Um, I think that, uh, Memphis, well, you know, there are a lot of good teams in the West, but, um, we'll see how long CJ don't know. Yeah, I don't, know, yeah, I don't like. know about Portland either. Like, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure, like, where that's going. Um, so that's, that's another team that, like, I've, I've got my eyebrows raised with, yeah. uh, and I know we like how Phoenix is playing, but they are kind of limited offensively. Like I wonder, like Devin Booker has been a little shaky to start the year. Let's see if that improves. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. I'll, right. I'll tell you what. I I, I got to – we got to stop in a few minutes here. I think we'd be remiss to not talk about a pacer. And I, I'll let you guys decide which pacer we talk about. If you want to talk about Brogdon, Sabonis, Steven Turner, who's our – I think he just went on – I think he, He's injured now, I guess. He's yeah. out for you know, being checked. He hurt his wrist or hand, uh, averaging four blocks a game, kind of fulfilling what the, we want from Miles Turner um, or what the league thought you know, we, he, his uh, ceiling could be. Do you want to talk about Sabonis or Brogdon or both? But I'll, I'll cede the floor to both of you because the Pacers have been really good. Uh, and I would argue that those two probably – two of the be, you know, better guard-forward combo, guard-center, whatever you want to call it, big little combo in
1: the league so far this year. Nikais, you want to take that? Uh yeah, let's go Sabonis because mm. he has taken a leap. Um, the offense around him just looks so much better. That's just a testament to Nate Yorkgren really spacing things out. Um, he is just mashing dudes. That's first and foremost. Like he is Definitely. a high volume post up guy because he's really good at it, and people cannot keep him off of his spots, and that forces help. And that's where Sabonis being one of the best passers in the league comes in and then you keep the chain moving that way. So you don't have to ask for Malcolm Brogdon to be an ISO god. Because you know Brogdon can trigger an action and then kind of relocate or you just dump it down to Sabonis. And then once that double comes, because it's gonna come, you swing it out to a guy like Brogdon who can get to the rim almost at will anyway. And now he has easier pockets to attack. So uh, Sabonis has been he's been great. Um, I was listening to an episode of the open floor pod. And they broached Sabonis versus Bam. And, you know, both hosts end up picking Bam still because of the defense. But the fact that that's a question now is a testament to how much better Sabonis has gotten.
2: Yeah. Definitely. He's like if the Knicks era David Lee was, like, super nasty. Like, that's the kind of game he plays. You That's interesting. Like, he's just sort of like a nasty version. I I think he's always been underrated, to be honest. I I think we've never really given him – enough respect and I think one of the things that has made it look like he's made more of a leap than he has like I think he was really good last year too and we kind of just forgot because he was injured at the end they're playing with so much more space on the floor and they're also having him they're freeing him to grab and go and handle the ball more on the break and just sort of have the ball in his hands more so basically they're taking what they did to use him to prop up their second unit last year. They're having him do that for the entire team. Mm. And I, I think that's made him just a more dynamic player. Like I think he's always had it in him. You know, I think yeah. Nate Bjorken's doing an amazing – I mean I think I said before the year, like I thought Indiana was a sleeper team this year because of their coaching change. I mean it, it seems like he's adapting
0: a lot of the skill set – that his father was known for. I mean, that that essentially you said it's always been in him. I thought you were going to go all the way to like literally <laughs> in his blood, but like yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's a a playmaker, not someone else to be, have the play made for him. And when you play a position like he does, and Nikias like mentioned like the physical dominance, like he looks physically more ripped up this year. Like his body transformation, dude was never not in good shape, but like he's real cut up. Probably a little lower weight which Probably helps you play more minutes, facilitate having the ball for a higher usage rate. all those little things you know some players took this off season to like isolate and give like Jalen Brown guys who like have made substantial remarkable, remarkably uh, uh markedly higher um you know usage rates than they had a the couple of years before and have adapted you hmm. know well to it and and so bonus is really interesting also it does help when you're getting, you know, when you have that supporting big next to you in his case, in miles Turner, who's, who's been much better this year too. I think despite, you know, his name being in a lot of trade rumors and stuff preseason, it didn't affect him. Um, or might have yeah, affected him the other way. I yeah. Think. Yeah. The right way. And I'm curious when, you know, if and when, and I'm praying for him, I hope that the carousel vert is not dealing with something much deeper than, you know, than a, a surface level break or injury, you know, obviously with a growth of some kind of internally, Um but LaVert could be a real interesting piece for them, man. You talk about a guy who, who is going to be comfortable in ISO and get them the shot from the rim when they need it on the perimeter. Like, I, yeah, I'm not sleeping on that. I don't want the Sixers to get the, as a Sixers fan, to get the Pacers in the first round. Like, I, I don't know who we want. I'm hoping the Knicks can stay in that sixth seed. and maybe we can hop and play them in the first round. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> I can dream. Um, but, yeah, like the, the East is shaping up to just be an absolute slugfest, you know, from round one on. Um, and and there's going to be very little uh, ability to kind of miss a tough matchup. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Simonis has been great. Um, where does know, he credits, rank in the league?
2: I mean, he, because you he mentioned Bam, and I think I would still take Bam as well. Like, where, like where is he in the league? Like, kind of, is he better than – I mean, he's not better than Embiid, uh, obviously. He's not better than Bam. He's not better than Jokic. Not better than Jokic. Yeah, you know, He's not – He's not far off, man. Would you rather have him than Gobert? That's a good question. Ooh, that is a good question. That's a very good question. Uh, oh man, I think I I think I probably would. Reluctantly, I don't know. <laughs> I because I mean he is a pretty. I think he's a pretty solid defender, and you just can do more things with him. Uh, I really love how Utah plays and how they sort of maximize what Gobert does well, but. You can do more things with Saban. That's, 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 a, that's a really good question. Hmm. Just two different dudes. Like I,
1: huh, I would probably still lean Gobert. Um like he's not the scorer, he's not the passer. I do think he still opens up the offense in similar ways as like a screener. Um, there's more of a vertical component with him as a role man, and he is a defense onto himself. Right. And where Sabonis is solid, I still really value the way Rudy Gobert just like shuts off the water on opposing offenses.
2: Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I think you yeah. could. Maybe you're right. Um, but we're we're taking Julius Randle above all these guys, right, guys? <laughs> right. <saying>. I was <laughs> hey, gonna hey. I was gonna talk about RJ Barrett. He's, I've been really impressed. Both of them, man. I think Ran- they both Randall are really will, good. Randle will cool off, like he does every so often. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he's on I, quite a heater right now. Though, yeah, That's I know I, it is. He won't be like bad, but like the, he's just it, it'll it'll fade a little bit. Um, yeah. by the way, speaking of a team that just is big, the value of being big. Look at the the Knicks. Yeah. The biggest adjustment they made is that they have got they're just playing bigger <laughs> on the mm-hmm. wing. They have big wings. RJ Barrett's a two now. Like, yeah. That really goes and, and Alfred Payton's an oversized one. And how big is Quigley? Quigley a little? Six six
1: four. Six four somewhere in there. Yeah.
2: Look, the yeah. value of being big on the wing, it gets you a long way in the NBA.
0: Yeah. I, I do think Quigley and uh, and Maxi are two guys who like in a world where there's an NCLA tournament last year, probably both go a lot earlier in the draft. And that they, both the Knicks and Sixers benefited in a big way, and as other teams did here too. Um you know, from there not being a tournament and there not being overexposure on some of those bigger program guys that would have gone deeper, gotten a little bit more attention. Um, cause they've both been great. I mean, Quigley's last week and a half has been as solid as, you know, any rookie of the year type candidate would normally have. And Maxi is, I like to think that maxi's is the player that the Sixers deserve to get after all of their failures to draft guards, to, to, to play alongside of, um, of Simmons. And I say that in a, in a non-confrontational way for Fultz. I hope Fultz is okay too. Like that's another injury that sucked this year um, to see. Um, yeah. But right. uh coach, yeah. he
2: wrote about Fultz early in the year, like how good he was looking. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he was fantastic, man. I mean, the
1: jumper still just kind of wasn't there, but when yeah. you get to the run, the way he does pass the way he does defend the way he does. Like he just does so many things and he's so explosive mm-hmm. still. So yeah, it, it, yeah he really
0: Yep. Yeah, that was sucked. That was like the quintessential, I think, when you're growing up and you're watching the NBA and you're like, that's an Achilles, that's an ACL. That was the most quintessential like plant pop ACL. And he knew it right away, too. It's disappointing. Had, had he torn his ACL before in his life? Was he a high school tear? I'm not sure. I, I want to
2: say, yeah, he did have something like that. I think so but, I, so, but anyhow. So at the research we so, do, guys. Yeah,
0: just spitballing spit here. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, all right.
2: I guess we should wrap it up. Any final thoughts, Nakaias? Anybody else who just real quickly you think deserves a mention of some sort?
1: Um, I will go with a couple of quick ones. Um, Zach Levine has done a fantastic – he's been fantastic this year. Um, The take that I broached on the pod that we uh, we released yesterday is that Zach Levine is better than Donovan Mitchell. That's my take.
2: Mm -hmm. I like that take. I I don't know, I don't know. Zach Levine's got to learn how to pass.
1: Like I feel like he's gotten better at it. Like he's shown some flashes of like manipulating help, and that's not a thing we've seen in the past. Yeah. And if that's real, combined with like the pull up shooting, you can get to the rim. Like the free throw rate is fine. <clears throat> like Donovan Mitchell is a better defender when he's engaged, but I don't think the gap is massive enough to kind of override what Levine does offensively.
2: I'll have to think about that one for a little longer. And the only other guy I want to
1: bring up is DeAndre Hunter, who is doing stuff with the ball this year, and that has been fun. Um, One of the bright spots in Atlanta since Trey Young's been kind of weird and John Collins has been kind of weird and Clint Capella's been fine and the the free agent additions have been hurt, and it's just a lot of weirdness in Atlanta. But DeAndre Hunter has been very good.
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. I thought people gave up on him a little too soon last year. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's great.
0: I, I'm a big fan. Of, I, it's funny. Like I watched Hunter play in high school. Cause he's a Philadelphia high school level player. And the coach of his high school team was my, one of my uncle's friend's sons. So it was sort of like a kid he knew was going to be good for a while, but he's been a, 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 the type of player. I think when you over exaggerate the polish of like a junior or whatever, a non-freshman coming out of college, you have a higher expectation for what they can immediately bring. And that's not always necessarily true for everyone who comes in the league. I think speed of the game. he was an adjustment he had to, to make. And I think, obviously, he's taken a, a nice step. I also think he has a better place on the team now, too. think so he understands where his role is. And I, I would be remiss if we didn't bring up Trey because I did want to talk a little bit about Trey, but we could do this another time. I think another pod where we have Nikias on and we do a little bit of these A or B type things makes sense as we just got into Goldberg Sabonis and Mitchell Levine. Um, Trey or John. Yeah, I was going to say, we can attack to a number of angles uh, yeah. moving forward.
2: Yeah, they just the yeah. Hawks are just so station to station. With the perimeter talent they have, yeah. it should be moving a lot quicker. It just doesn't. Um, yeah. It's frustrating. Any- uh, anyway, uh, Nakai's Duncan, thebasketballnews.com is the website. You can also follow the Dunker Spot podcast with Steve Jones. If you really want to talk about the basketball and what's actually happening that you – can kind of see, but you can't necessarily verbalize. These guys can verbalize it and tell you what you're seeing. That's a that's a real true poop heads podcast. Uh, well so definitely definitely go check that out. Um, anything big you're working on? Um, just dropped
1: a piece a little bit earlier today on DeAndre Jordan. Um, kind of broke the discussion we had in the Milwaukee game about um, him in the drop and being attacked that way, and what that kind of means for brooklyn's playoff hopes moving forward um other than that we record the dunker spot every sunday night and we release every monday um we're talking x's and o's about about a bunch of different teams and players so subscribe to that if you haven't already
2: all right well thank you so much for taking the time to join us and until next time this is a limited upside podcast